Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Now, some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I didn't know of David Ivalik until his name came up in an interview with Tom Hudson back in 2005. He and Tom played with the Centenaires, the house band for the 1967 Centennial Barge Trip down the Mackenzie River. David was all of 16 years old. Tom said no one else in the band was taking pictures except for David, who was taking pictures of everything. David opened his photo albums to Musicians of the Midnight Sun providing a plethora of photographs from that 1967 centennial barge trip and many more from the mid to late 1960s during his time at Acacia Hall. His passion for music began even earlier. David grew up in an igloo at an outpost camp near Cambridge Bay, Nunavut, listening to country music on the family radio. His family travelled a lot by dog team when they went trapping. His mother recalled that David would take his record player along cover himself up with a blanket to keep warm, and listen to music in the igloo. Later, he would DJ at the community square dances, spinning 78s while his father called. He left home to attend residential schools in Inuvik in 1959, then to Yellowknife in 1964. In this interview, David and I realized we had played a lot of music with the late Frank Cockney, a renowned and respected fiddler from Tuktoyaktuk. David is one of the most humble, soft-spoken, and passionate musicians I've ever met. Maybe a product of his faith, his music, his generation, and the cultural and musical changes he has lived through. David's interview is a snapshot of a young Indigenous musician, born into a culture of traditional hunter-gatherers at a time of rapid change throughout the High Arctic in the 1950s. Fast forward to 1964, to a 13-year-old David Ivalik with an electric guitar in his hands, playing the hits of the day at one of the many Acacho Hall dances. I come from Perry River. That's in 200 miles south of Cambridge Bay. There was outpost camp and 
trap line trapping areas. We do a lot of hunting and trapping for livelihood. When the music came into my life, was uh, we used to have all those radios and battery operated my mom and dad had. I listened to lots of uh, country music, like I play radio early in the morning. I think one of them was a CFCW, that country music station down in U.S. somewhere, and that, that's what I always listen to. So uh, that's when I hear a lot of like George John Hank Snow, Hank Williams, all those old timers, Kitty Wells, and Merle Hikert area, those, yeah. That's how I feel started. What years would those have been? Those years would be between, let's see, 1950s to 59. You were listening to the radio in the outpost camp? In our own camp, an outpost camp, we have our own radio. They call it Flagstaff Island. That's where we have our radio. And mom and dad, they said I was a little child. They afraid that I'm going to fall over when he stays climbing on the radio, trying to get things, everything's moving. And that was, mom told me about that, that I... I might fall over because I want to listen to radio. Were radios common in families and stuff, or was there sort of one radio in the community or in the, in, the, in the camp? I think the way I see it was only maybe a couple of radios in one little outpost camp. They call it outpost camp. My dad had one. And uh, I think I kind of woke up with... My dad was a square dance caller. He's from the Western Arctic area. That's where he get all the entertainment for having good time with the community. Which uh, which part of the Western Arctic? Like how far over? Which community? Uh, my dad, Western Arctic in that Delta, Mackenzie Delta. He, I believe he was born somewhere in Point Barrow area, Alaska. My dad was a skipper for the schooner. I think he traveled in those schooner ships to outpost camp trading posts, like they go to Joe Haven, home and that's Ulukaktok and Stalukak, all those places. There was a schooner that he, he had to uh, guide on summertime, collecting all the winter supplies, that fox, any fur animals, yeah. Being such a well-traveled man, he would have heard probably lots of different music even in his time, from Alaska for sure, but uh, also from uh, the Hudson Bay people in the Delta. Yeah, I remember when they could have a square dances and uh, I used to look up to the record player just by hand. I know there's songs, something like a chicken reel and all those stuff. My dad knows that there were about maybe evening, there's about five square dance callers running the show in the evening. They would all take turns? They take turns, yeah. yeah. So the square dances went on for a long time then? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's where all the... Uh, 
my music come in cause of the sound of music in a, in a fiddling world and Don Messer and all those uh, musicians and the, I just love the background, the, the sound of it, the background of uh, music and like bass sound. That's uh, that's what I play, you know, bass. So uh, that really helped. So you, you like the sound of the band behind the fiddle? Yeah, yeah, yeah I like that. That's what I've been doing, my backup person. And I, I've always said, I'm going to help you, you know, sound, sounds good or whatever. We gotta help that person. Another one I travel quite with Frank Cockney. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All the old time fiddlers, Fort McPherson area. They got the sound of old timeies. Wally first is one of them. Mm-hmm. Good fiddler. Frank Cockney was one of them that in his slow music he could speed it up. He could make it discreet as music. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that a few years ago. I hear those old fiddling music from maybe Cape Britain or whatever, all those songs, if I can't make it into a square dance music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I liked, I liked him a lot, but that's for sure. Lucky for both of us that we got to play with him. So it was primarily fiddle music then that was playing behind these square dances. Yeah. So you, you got to hear a lot of those traditional songs that were being used in mm-hmm. square dances. Yeah, I watched a lot of uh, drum dancers do. They had two different type of culture, like Western style and culture style. Drum dancers do it each night, especially in igloo. I, I watched those drum dancers, drum Dancing all night, yeah. When you say that the traditional of the drum dances and then the Western, was that both the drums? No, they were kind of balanced and uh, they take certain days. And, okay. Yeah. So one would be a square dance with the, with the fiddle music and the other one would be a drum dance. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful, that balance, eh? That just sort of that yeah. recognizing there's if you want to call it new music, <laughs> or, or, or the Western style, like you say, but still balancing that off with the, with the traditional drum dancing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Even still continues today, like Cambridge Bay Area. There's some Western style and Central style drum dancing, square dances, and like in the Kualoktok or Cambridge Bay. Every other community is continuing that area, yeah. And more or less the same kind of a style. I know the drumming style might be different in the west and in the middle in Cambridge Bay where you are and in the east. Mm-hmm. Just because of the differences in where you live, you're still Inuit people, but I know the dialects are a little bit different. Is the drumming pretty much the same all the way across? Uh, in the, in the it's all different. There's western style. Kajangmut and East, they are different. It's all entertainment for a community. Like, there's some certain drummers and dancers that they're really different. They're fun to watch. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's the environment that you grew up in and where you first started hearing music. 
you showed me a picture of your second record player. Can you tell me about your first record player? Yeah, my first record player, I, my mom mentioned that I, I know my dad used to travel a lot, trapping with the dog teams. My mom told me that I take the record player along, go under the blanket just to keep warm, to play music under the blanket. In the igloo, yeah. There's no electricity, so it was a wind-up? Yeah, wind-up. I, I had a wind-up record player. Okay. If you don't keep winding it, it's going to slow it's down. you got to try to have the same speed as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. That's weird. That's why I was under the blanket, just to keep myself warm, to play the music. I, I remember some of those Hank Williams when they first come out, I guess, and lots of fiddling music. My dad, I know he used to buy those 78 RPM, mm -hmm. those records. They had to be really careful, they break easy. Especially yeah. in the cold. Cold, <laughs> in the cold, yeah. Do you remember where your dad would buy those? Hey? Where would your dad buy those? I think they were ordered from the western area, like Delta or somewhere. I know Hudson Bay people, stores, Hudson Bay store manager ordered them too. These for people to buy those records, 78s, yeah. Did your father play any instruments? I think he played mouth organ. My dad, he played mouth organ. Mostly he knew a lot about Squid Dance Calling. I think Squid Dance Calling keep everybody organized, you know. I always like eight in a group and not more than that, yeah. When did you get an instrument or what, and what instrument did you get into your hands first of all? When I started around 1959, there's another person, one of my good friends' name is Henry, and uh, they play a lot when we were in residence school in, in Uvik. I hear a lot of country music people. These Western people, they were just like country and Western people. They play a lot of guitars. That's when I started getting interested in playing. I had to have my own instrument in order to play so I could get involved with the other groups. Otherwise, uh, everybody have their own. In playing bass too, and I I started in Yellowknife 1967. That's when I started to play. I have a good friend down here too, played around in those areas. What was the name of the residential school in Inuvik? Stringer Hall, okay. yeah. So those guys were playing guitar, it almost sounds like a Keicho Hall. It almost sounds like before Keicho Hall for, yeah. for you, because when you came to a Keicho Hall, it was the same kind mm -hmm. of thing. Were you able to work and save money to buy a guitar, or did you did your folks buy one for you? When I went to school in Keicho Hall here too, we used to work part-time all the time in the city of Yelnay. There's lots of us, we work 
mikä on money. I remember I bought my first amp and bass guitar in Yelne store called Click. Yeah, that's where I got the, the stuff from. First bass guitar I ever had, the name is Kent, K-E-N-T. First, first guitars that coming out, I guess, up north. Before you came to Akechel Hall, I guess I'm just sort of trying to fill in between 60 and 60... Well, 60 and 65? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Uh, you were in Stringer Hall that whole time? Yeah, in those years, yeah, Stringer Hall, yeah. We learned to play instruments, would listen to other guitar players. Yeah. Some of them were mostly Inuit people, yeah. Inuit or Inuit from Kajangme. The music that you were playing then, like you say, uh, just country and western music, it seemed at that time it was pretty straight country and western. There yeah. wasn't too many other styles. Yeah, in those country and western, and uh, changed to rock country and rock and roll and lots of limbo and all that music, like Buddy Holly style, all those people, rock and roll. Were you hearing that in Anubik when you were up there? Were you hearing that music up in Anubik or was that later oh, on? That was in Yelne. That was later on when you were down there. Later on in Yelne. Yeah. Did you go back and forth, uh, Stringer Hall, like for, for the school season and then go back home? Uh, to yeah, came, to we have to summer. spend about 10 months a year in Yelne for our residence school from uh, grade 7 to grade 12, back and forth. And you were in Stringer Hall up until what grade? Stringer Hall till I was maybe grade 6, I think. In those first settlement, there was no grade 7. There's no junior high, so we moved to uh, grade 7 and moved to Yelne from Cambridge Bay or uh, Inuvik. We moved to Yellowknife Residence School. That must have been a big change, eh? Coming yeah. from way up there in the, in, yeah. in the high Arctic and yeah, to it, come down big here. Big change. I always wonder how our parents were. They never tell us anything. I think sometimes silence is a good word for that way people don't hear, they don't need to. When you have love for they don't need to hear everything. And our parents just keep it. And I always wonder how they feel. Tough on both of you to just to be so far away from each other. If you can remember, what did you think when you first came down here in grade seven? That would have been what year? I think 1964, 65, yeah. It was, it was a pretty smooth, yeah. pretty smooth Yeah, I find it that when you play music all the time, most of the time, that it's really how you education or pastime. That's the way I see it. I think uh, grade one to six, I think they tell us quite a bit, kind of prepared to for the next junior high school. And so that's what you were doing when you came down here, even at a young age, and you were playing guitar? Yeah, playing guitar, at least to Mendels. So, like you say, that the, the years you got to Acacia Hall, 64 through 67, 
it probably moved pretty fast. And, and again, when I talk with other musicians as well, they say the same thing, the time went really fast. The names of some of the other musicians that you would have been playing with at Akecho Hall at that time, do you remember some of the guys that you were playing with? Yeah, the people like uh, Tommy Hudson, Lawrence Rasser, Edward Basie, Archie Plamondon. I know there were three or four bands in Akecho Hall in one time. And uh, there's some people that I know that played well was George Mandeville. He had his own group, instrumental, just like Ventures. Uh, I really like that. This is the story, I guess. I can only imagine for you it was probably the gig of a lifetime that way when, when 1967 came up. So can you tell me how that all came to be? Um, with uh, with that summer of 1967? Summer of 1967, it was the uh, centennial year for Canada. It's a birthday, 100 year birthday or something. There were centennial barge built for the trip from Fort Smith all the way to Tuck. I know there's some musicians in Yellowknife. I think they were organizations, they were looking for entertainers from that time. That's when I got most of the pictures from like George Manuel had some group, as we call ourselves, Centenaires, Tommy Hudson and Lawrence Rasher. I think there were some other groups to stained glass illusion. I remember Tony Buckins. He had his own group too, Tony Buckins is good. And uh, we had to uh, compete each other, the musicians. So, we, so the people, the organization, they trying to find what entertainment the whole Delta need. We had to figure out that only way to win was uh, we gotta match our music to the whole thirteen communities. So they made all of your different bands compete? Yeah. <laughs> I never they, heard that before. <laughs> I, they call it, what's it called, talent show? This is talent show. I also compete. <laughs> talent show. <laughs> so where did where did that happen? Was that at Akecho Hall? Did they just have the talent show there, or was it in the school? No, it happened in a, in a theater somewhere around here, when they had a theater or Irene, our teacher, talent show. And, and that would have been late winter, early spring, or was it? I think it was spring. Get ready for June trip and 13 communities. So all of those bands competed, and yeah. they picked your band because you, what, did you mention all the community names, or did you just do di different music? How did you include all of those communities? Uh, we figure out each person have a taste of love up their music, like Hank Williams maybe, Johnny Cash, or maybe some polka music on the keyboards, and uh, lots of little bit of background of music for each person might like in each community. 
maybe a little bit of rock and roll here and there. In those days, they didn't have CCR. No. That's a really smart way to win the contest. That. <laughs> Good on you guys, that's great. I, I never heard about the talent show before, so that's uh, I can picture it. I can see it. Yeah. Because I remember some of those guys when they were almost that young. Uh, by the time I bumped into them, they were older. Yeah. Was, oh yeah. I was a boy myself, so it's a wonderful picture to have a talent show. And so they picked you guys, and and where did it go from there? Like, they picked us up. We started from Fort Smith, Harbor, Yellowknife, Providence, on the Centennial Barge. There was other groups beside us too. They on that barge too. Entertainment every every second day. Entertainment each community, like Fort McPherson, uh, Rick Lee, all those, you know, Rick, all the way to Tuck and Aklavik, on site. All the way down river, all the way to the, yeah. the Arctic Ocean. One whole month in the barge. One month, eh? One That's month. what it took you. Yeah, we played for entertainment here every second day. Each each community. How many barges? I guess. I think there was two barges. I had some in the picture, and uh, they pull all the barges all the way down. Before we get to community, our band we play on top of the barge trailer. We play out before we never coming in. We play music coming into town. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So you played on the roof of uh, the trailers where you guys were living? Yeah, we played on there before we hit the community. Yeah. So you guys were living in a trailer, and that's what you played on top of. And there was a museum as well, like a walkthrough museum. Was that on a whole separate barge? A separate barge, yeah. yeah. Sleeping quarters was a separate barge too. I always like mentioned Wally first. He, he may have all the story. Wallifer, he was our communicator, radio announcer, and he used to work with CBC in those days. Wallifer, all the people in the community, they still recognize us, even me. We never change. <laughs> we never change. We the youngest ever, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So Wally was sort of like the uh, the MC of MC. The, whole, the whole thing all the way yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the names of the other groups that were traveling with you? The other group were Tundra Folk, Ted Wesley. Mm-hmm. He had a trio. When you guys got on in Fort Smith, was it just you guys all the way on the trip? Or did other musicians come in uh, sort of midway through? Or was it the same sort of entertainers right from the beginning to the end? Yeah, I don't quite remember, but uh, Fort Smith, we had to take the bus from Fort Smith to Young Life to go on a barge here, because shallow in that area somewhere, Fort Smith. But barge was in Fort Smith. We do the guide tours inside too, and that's just like a museum. We, 
we do a this Ferris wheel, all those. That's an attractive one. Wow. I've seen some of the pictures and some of the pictures that you've given to me. You guys had the red jackets, eh? Yeah. We just use it for performing, I guess. There's might be some good stories about the bars and entertainment from here or Fort Smith. You guys would pull into the community? Did you play right on the boat or did you go into the community and perform? Uh, we had to perform in the halls or in the community. When you landed in the communities, would some of the players from that community come in and either play with you guys or play a bit of a set and then you guys would go on? Was it? I think there was some entertainment afterwards when we were done performing. We were more of a showcase for the communities, something different. Like promotion or anything like that, entertainment. Were you able to play the music that you would have played in a Kecho Hall, or did they ask you to play certain songs? Or <laughs> that, that was a challenge. We had to make sure we know enough music if somebody asked certain type. Like if somebody wanted us to play polka music, somebody have to know it in a group. And so you, you played for a month, or what happened after that? Um, I think the school was over, I think we all went home. 1967, okay, 12 is a busy place for music. I would like to thank David for sharing his rich musical life story with musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of his life, and the full interview transcript, check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com, linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series. And to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories, Department of Education, Culture and Employment, the Yellowknife Community Foundation, and the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far. A full list of supporters can be found on the website. The archival audio of this podcast is from the Northern Musicians Project Collection at the Northwest Territories Archives. I'm Pat Brayton. Thanks for listening.